You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in the verses that Ms. Jill just read for us, 21, 22, and 23. We'll also be a couple other places. It'll take us some time to get there. As you're turning there, uh, if you're new here to Citizens, welcome. My name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're watching online, uh, wherever you are, welcome. We are thrilled that you're worshiping with us this morning. Um, Also, as you're turning there, just a quick note about where we're going with the sermons. Haven't kind of given an update in a while, so... Uh, If you've been here for some time, usually in January, we talk about uh, a few issues that are uh, just near to the heart of our church, specifically to the leaders and elders and ministers of our church, Uh, issues like sanctity of life, uh, Imago Day issues, issues like racial harmony. And next Sunday, we're going to turn our attention to talking about those things and really uh, our role as Christians Uh, and and specifically what Citizens is doing to try and uh, be faithful in all those issues. And then the next Sunday, so two weeks, we're going to start our next major sermon series. It's called Wisdom and Wonder. It's about uh, wisdom. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs for a lot of that, uh, learning about the fear of the Lord. I just felt like there was a need uh, for wisdom now, especially for us as Christians. And so uh, that's where we're going. This morning, very simply, In a new year, what I want to do is I just want to encourage us to spend time with God. That's what I'm after this morning. Uh, Specifically, I want to encourage us to commit to uh, righteous habits in our life. uh, Maybe you have those in your life and you'll recommit to them. Maybe you don't and you'll you'll, uh, commit to some new habits. But the the reality is this, the truth that we believe, we talk about this around here a lot, is that uh, the, the point of the Christian life is becoming like Jesus and we become like Jesus by spending time Uh, with God. One of our values here is a people of presence, which is the active pursuit of God and others for the purpose of becoming like uh, Jesus. And so this ends this morning uh, with me inviting us to spend time in God's Word, to spend time with God's people, and to spend time on God's mission. There's a host of other things that we could have talked about, but that's where we landed this morning. Before we do that, we need to do some work in Colossians so that we know why this matters. It's really important that this is not just about actions that Christians do, but it's rooted in what God is wanting to do in your life. And so Colossians 1, verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's who you were before Jesus, who we were. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, listen to this, in order for the purpose of presenting you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. What I love about this passage is it offers a simple, beautiful overview of what the gospel does in the life of the Christian. And it's twofold. It's two movements. It meets you where you are in order to make you who you were meant to be. It meets you to make you. So it meets you where you are. It describes it this way. Before Jesus, without Jesus, you and I are alienated. We're hostile. We're committed to evil deeds, to the kinds of things that make us less human, that sow uh, injustice and wrong and sin in the world instead of beauty and truth and grace. And that was all of us before Jesus. And so what he does is he meets us right in that kind of of mess. He meets us in our sin. So 
for just a second. Maybe uh, your story is it's the new year, and for some reason, because it's a new year, you're trying out church. Maybe you hadn't been to church in, in a long time, uh, or maybe this is your first time to ever, to ever come to church, and, and, and maybe you have questions, and one of your questions could be, what is it that Christians believe, or what is it that Christians believe makes a Christian a Christian? And if you hear nothing else this morning, would you hear our answer to that? We believe that we're all sinners. We have all fallen short of what a human is supposed to be, according to God. And to no credit of our own, God in love through Jesus saves us and frees us from sin and self, not because we deserve it, but because He's good. And, and for some of us, that meant that He met us with His saving grace as children, and we haven't known a whole lot of life without Him. For others of us, that meant we spent lots of years with our backs towards God, trying to live this life on our own, and He met us with saving grace as adults. But what it means for all of us is we've all uh, lived lives where we've needed God to forgive sin, and we've all lived lives where we have brokenness that we've needed God to heal, and that's true for every one of us. So what makes us a Christian, what makes Christians Christians, is that God in love met us right where we were. It's not about how clean we live. It's not about the answers we have. It's not about how we vote. It's not about the money we make. It's not about being better than anyone else. It's not about the religious things we do. It's all about the scandalous love of God in Jesus because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, met us right where we were. And then, verse 22, in order to make us who we were meant to be, it says, holy and blameless and above reproach. So see this, friends. From alienated and hostile to blameless and holy, who we were meant to be. God saved you for a purpose. God is not in the business of, of, of making converts. He's in the business of making people more fully human. He's in the business of disciples, of followers of Jesus who become like Jesus. And that means that God has a beautiful vision for your life, for who you become. Loves you as you are, also loves you so much, he's, he's not going to leave you unchanged. And here's the language, holy, that word means pure in this passage. Blameless, it means without blemish, spotless. And then I love this word, above reproach, that means you are unaccusable. There is no accusation that can stand against you. That is who God is making you. And what kind of language is this, if you, if you pay attention? It's character language. Here, here's what I mean. It doesn't read, he reconciles you in his body in order to present you talented, famous, intelligent, impressive, and super rich, right? The work of change that God wants to do in your life is not at the level of accomplishment or even first and foremost at the level of gifting. It's at the level of character. One way to say it is this. Maybe you'd remember this. Um, God cares more about your eulogy than your resume. So much more. Resumes are about what you've accomplished. You write them. You submit them on behalf of yourself. It's all your achievements on paper. Resumes tell about what you've done. A eulogy is different than that. It's the story of your life, usually at the end of your life, and it tells about your relationships and your, your person. Eulogies have to do with who you are at your very core. And one of the signs of a life well lived is a eulogy that has a lot to say about a person's character. One of the signs of a life well lived is a eulogy that says more about who someone is than what they've done, right? And so uh, she was a patient person. He was a faithful friend. When I was in trouble, I always knew I could call her. Uh, he was always kind. She apologized often. He loved God. She served in her church. He was a safe place for hurting people. That's all virtue. Who wouldn't want those things said about them at the end of their life? 
And that's all character language. Mostly what's true about those things is all of those things can be said about Jesus. And it's those kinds of words, it's those kinds of statements that make for a eulogy worth having because they tell of a life well lived. Like, those things are different than she graduated first in her class or he ran a successful business. Those things are amazing. Praise God for those things. But I think for most of us, especially if you're here at church, in a moment of honest reflection around what matters most in life, what we most want is to live a life that ends in a really meaningful eulogy and meaningful by way of depth and character, which ultimately means we want to be people who are like Jesus. Here's the beauty of this passage. God, according to his word, is committed to that in your life. He's committed to that in your life. Uh, the person that you have no shot of becoming on your own, God is committed through Jesus to make you that person. In fact, one of the things, one of the promises of this passage is that it will happen. It will happen. One day before God, Jesus himself will present us in the eulogy spoken over us, not of those who have died, but those who have been raised to life is pure and blameless and innocent and unaccusable. Gosh, I don't know what I just said. I, I was going to say goodness and then I was going to say, gosh, I think it came out as gush, so that'll go on the internet. The gospel is just so incredible, so incredible. And God is so kind. You see what he does? To meet you where you are and then to make you what only he can make you, okay? Here's where you and I are. I'm speaking to, to the Christians in the room. This is true about the Christians. We are somewhere in between hostile and holy, God's grace means that we're not who we were, but it's also true that we're not yet who we will be. We're not done. And, and, and maybe you wince at that because it means there are things about you that need to change. There are things about me that need to change. But I don't know of anyone who would read these words and come to a different conclusion than that. Holy, blameless, unaccusable. There's not a, a single thing that... that that I could say I'm not guilty of by way of pride or selfishness, right? Like, can anyone read these words and with a shred of honesty say, yeah, I'm there. I made it there last month, actually, so I'm good. No. God, uh, Martin Luther has this great quote. He says this, um, God is not the kind of father who casts off sick and wayward children because if he were, he would have no children. Because what's true about all of us, even on this side of salvation, all sick, all wayward, prone to wonder, right? So not who we were, not yet who we will be. We are in between verse 21 and, and 22, right? He meets us right now. He's making us. If you are a Christian, you are in a process of change, and God has this vision for you where he wants you to become who you are always meant to be, uh, just like Jesus, right? And you have a role to play in that. You have a role to play in that change. You have a responsibility in that. We hear that idea in verse 23. It says, if indeed you continue in the faith, God has invited you, Christian, not to do things to earn your salvation, but on this side of the saving grace of God in Jesus, he's invited you to do the kinds of things that cooperate with God, that join God in bringing change to your life. So 10 minutes and 58 seconds ago, I told you this morning is about encouraging us to spend time with God in his word, with his people, on his mission. And here's the reason. Here's why that matters. Because in between hostile and holy, it is by doing these things that we become who we we're meant to be. That the way that we live for a eulogy that we're proud of, the way that we live for a deep life 
that is a character life, is by filling our lives with the kinds of practices, disciplines, prayer, scripture, gathering, the kind of habits that change us into people of character who look like Jesus. Now, uh, to be sincere, I feel like I need to be honest about something. Uh, What I just said is something that I personally have not lived for the majority of my Christian life. Um, and and I'm, really, I'm really just now learning to value these things. I have a Bible degree from Criswell College. Anybody? Okay, thank you. It's just when I tell you that my wife graduated from A&M, y'all all make noise. and think, Okay, there you go. Um, well, I graduated from Criswell. I didn't start at Criswell. I started at Baylor. Anybody? Okay, sick them. Um, I made the decision to go to Bible college while I was at Baylor. And it wasn't because I knew that God wanted me to do ministry. It's really that uh, I loved my experience there, but I really learned pretty quickly that if I was going to study anything for four years, I wanted it to be the Bible. Um, And I knew I wasn't going to do that at Baylor, mostly because I I ran out of money. Um, And so I transferred to a small Bible college in Dallas called Criswell. And before my first semester, before my first fall semester, I sat down with an advisor to pick my classes, and I read through this schedule of the fall classes and just just got so excited. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a Bible nerd, and so I read classes, you know, that were being offered, like New Testament theology and systematic theology, and there was a class being offered uh, by, by a really well-known professor called The Apostolic Preaching of the Apostles in the Book of Acts, and I was like, yes, I want to take that class. And so all these classes that I was really interested in taking, many of which I didn't have the prereqs for, but then I saw a class called Spiritual Formation, and I asked the advisor, I said, um, what is that? And he said, well, it's a, it's a class on spiritual disciplines. It's like a class that teaches you how to memorize scripture and a class that teaches you how to pray and a class that will teach you how to fast and how to meditate on God's word. And I said, oh, okay. And I took my pen and I crossed it out <laughs> because I wasn't interested in a class like that. Uh, in my mind, that's not what I was there to learn. And what that strike of the pin represented was a belief I had about what's most important when it comes to life and relationship with God. Like, I, I, was at a, I was at the cusp of so much in my life. I was starting a new college. I was considering what career God had for me. I was uh, about to get engaged, and I had this list of classes in front of me, most of which offering answers, uh, most of which offering to teach me how to think about things that are important to think about. But then there was one of them offering to teach me how to live, one of them offering to teach me how to spend time with God, how to not just extract answers out of God's word, but how to meditate on it, how to be changed by it. And that was the easiest one for me to cross off the list. Because at that time in my life, here's what I failed to respect. I failed to respect how much who we are is actually shaped by the regular, ordinary communing with God that we do. And in a lot of ways, friends, I am still trying to recover from that kind of thinking. If you come here often, one of the things I try to be open about often is that I feel pretty behind in a lot of this. I feel really behind in a lot of this. The way I've said it before is I feel like I'm better at talking about God than I am talking to God. Um, another way I'll say it is that I feel like I'm better reading the Bible in order to write sermons than reading it in order to become like Jesus. I was on a podcast the other day, and one of the questions was, what does your personal time with God look like? And I've come to really not like that question. I feel really sheepish uh, when asked that question because the answer is it's just entirely unimpressive and inconsistent. And I expect that what people expect is that a a pastor just kind of like wakes up and just like floats through the air straight to their open Bible in the morning, right? As angels pour the coffee or something like that. And uh, it's not like that. That'd be amazing. Especially 
yeah, that'd be amazing. But the, the reality is this. The reality is it's my time with God outside of the time that I spend with God for my job is just sporadic, sometimes rushed, sometimes wonderful, sometimes non-existent. But I want you to know this. Uh, because of God's grace in my life, something has changed for me in the past few years in a good way. And what's changed for me is I, I at least feel like I'm in the fight now. What I mean is I am convinced now, which I think was important, I am convinced that the eulogy I want is not possible if time with God is not a habitual part of my life. Like if I could go to Jamin years ago in that office and tell him anything, it would be take the class, take the class, take it seriously. Like if you go four years in Bible college and the only thing you learn to do is pray, it'll be enough. It'll be enough. It'll be more than enough. I think what I would tell myself is, Jamin, you believe right now who you want to become is about having a head full of right answers. That's not enough. Becoming who you want to become is about having a life filled with righteous habits. It's about having a life that is committed to experiencing the grace of God, uh, oriented, participating with God in, in making us who we want to become. That's the encouragement I have for you this morning. It's a long time to get there, but moving from where God met us alienated and hostile to who God is making us. That work is the grace of God, but that work of change, it moves along righteous habits that we fill our lives with. Now, I need to say a few things before we get specific. Um, it's important that I know that you know that I'm not talking about graceless activity, religious activity. Uh, I think Matt says it this way, grace is opposed to earning but it's not opposed to effort. What I'm not saying is that the grace of God meets you in salvation, but then you take it from there. That's not true. This is all grace. It's all grace. The grace of God in salvation, the saving grace meets you. You have nothing to do with it. God meets you where you are, like we said. The grace that sanctifies, the grace that changes, is God and us working together according to his Bible. Notice in our passage, Paul doesn't say, in order to present you holy and blameless and you don't have anything to do, just sit there, let go and let God, right? No, he says, continue in faith. Hold on. There's a responsibility that you have in all of this. Fill your life with the kinds of things, the mechanisms, the practices along which God will change you. And one of the lies that's easy to believe when it comes to spending time with God or Christianity in general is that if it was real, it would be automatic. If it was real, it would be like the, the, the flip of a switch and all of a sudden everything is different. And any amount of work that I have to do on my end means I'm trying to earn God's love or I'm trying to earn my place. Or I'm trying to validate my Christianity. And that's not true. It's not true. That's not what God is inviting you into. Um, one of my favorite things about our house uh, that we live in, we've been in for almost four years, uh, my favorite thing is our trees. We have, these, we have three huge trees in our front yard. We have two huge trees in our backyard. I'm not trying to brag, but I, I, I love, love our trees. Um, the second thing I love is there's a lot of natural light in our house, a lot of windows. Uh, it was built in the late 70s, so it has those 70s skylights, and ours are old and, and uh, poorly insulated, but I love them. Um, and then by our kitchen, we have all these windows that kind of surround our kitchen area. And, and the first thing I'll do every day is, is I will go and start making coffee, and as the coffee is, is being made, I will open the curtains and I will open the shades to let the light into that space. Now, I know you know this, I don't control the sun. I don't make it rise. I don't determine the weather, whether it's cloudy or whether it's sunny. But I do in that moment control whether or not the curtains are pulled back 
and whether or not the shades are open. I can do my part in letting the light in. And time with God is a lot like that. What is true about you is that the light of God's love and grace shines on you. Remember verse 21, it meets you at your worst. There's nothing you can do to try to earn your salvation. It's a gift. Uh, We don't control God any more than I can control the sun. Like God does what he wants in our lives, but he's given us responsibility and he's invited us into play to play a role in our change. And much of that role is the simple act of pulling back the curtains and opening the shades so, so that the light of God and his grace can come into our lives. So, any time that we're making time for God, any time that we're making time to spend time with God, any time you're reading your Bible, you're opening the shades and, and, and expecting of God to do something. Any time you pray, you're pulling back the curtains and pleading with God that he would, he would bring change and grace into your life, right? You're doing your part. What you're doing right now, being here right now, like what we've gathered together to do is just doing our part to open our life to the realities of God's love and grace, so that in doing so, I look a little bit more like Jesus than I would have if I'd have left the curtains closed. And we're not trying to earn salvation or prove God loves us. We're simply fighting to sit in the sun and to become on on earth what God has already declared to be true about us in heaven because of Jesus. The other truth is to realize that that is also a long-term habitual commitment that change, substantial change, happens in our lives through repeated action over a long period of time. Um, Here's a bit of a scary thought. Studies have shown that over 40% of what we do in a given day is not the result of choice, but of habit. 40%. We did something over and again to the point where we stopped deciding to do it, and now we just kind of do it on autopilot. The, The easiest example uh, is to point to the relationship that many of us have with our phones. Like, you ever find yourself scrolling on social media and you don't remember deciding to do that? You're just doing it? Or maybe you get a break in the day and, and you didn't decide to fill those few minutes this way, but all of a sudden you're responding to an email and you don't remember deciding to respond to that email? What's happening is, is those are habits that are affecting us and, and changing us. And the reality is, is those small actions affect who you're becoming. Like, you don't have to look hard to know that research says that the more time you spend on your phone, the more anxious you'll become. It's these small, repeated acts that over time affect who we're we're becoming. So a really important question to ask as a Christian is this, is the person that I most want to become different than the person my habits are actually making me? Is the person I most want to become, is it different than the person that the things that I'm committed to every day, different than than who who those things are, are making me, right? And if the answer is yes, which I think for a lot of us if not all of us to some degree it is, what's needed is an intentional commitment to righteous habits that make us look like Jesus. And then to not expect, to not expect that that's all going to happen at once. Like we cannot expect a few times of prayer a month and a handful of church attendance in a year is going to offer everything we need. It's small repeated action over time. It's the faithful opening of the shades and pulling back the curtain time and again over a long period of time. How I've said it before is this. You know, I've had a few really amazing meals in my life. I've had a few truly incredible five-star whatever meals in my life. But my health has not been shaped by those few amazing meals. It's not the, you know, it's not the incredible dinners that I've had very occasionally. It's the food that I eat most often. It's the normal diet that I consume, the everyday breakfast. Those things have contributed most to my health, right, for better or for worse. 
the everyday things that we do and think and give our attention to, your spiritual diet uh, shapes your spiritual health. It's the things that are repeated most often. And look, a daily diet of mindless scrolling or a daily diet of your favorite news channel is creating a different person than a daily diet of time with God. That's just true. And so having said all that, I said all that to say this. I want to invite you into, into three righteous actions for the purpose of participating with God, of joining God and bringing real significant change into our lives. We could do much more than these. We could talk about prayer. We could talk about the need for rest. But I want to talk about spending time in God's Word, spending time with God's people, spending time on God's mission. I'll do so quickly. And I want to offer around each of these specific ways that our church wants to come alongside of you and invite you in. Spend time in God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says this. Paul is writing to Timothy. It says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been equated with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or servant of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy to continue in the faith, and the way to continue in the faith is by committing to a habit of remaining in the scriptures, of spending time in God's word. And he says, what it'll do for you, Timothy, is it's profitable. It means it's good for you because it will. Why? Because it works on you. He says specifically, it's profitable for reproof and correction. It's going to change you. And a lot of the ways the change comes is by confronting things in you that need to change. So we don't approach God's word like a textbook. We read it to know God, to know us, to commune with him, and to have our lives transformed. As, as one pastor prayed, Lord, protect us from being the kinds of Christians who love to learn but hate to change. Protect us. The Sunday after Christmas, we had one service, and on my way home, I thought, man, I'm really tired, like unusually tired, and I thought it was probably just the holidays and all the Christmas Eve services and all that, and then that evening, I started running a fever, and then that night, my fever got super high. It was over 104. It's the highest fever I ever had. I didn't actually start feeling better until a few days ago, but that first day, I couldn't get out of bed. That second day, I got an appointment with my doctor, and I went there and uh, tested for everything, and it came back flu. And um, doctor comes in and says this, with your age and your health, here's the thing about the flu. Uh, it will not kill you. It'll just make you wish you were dead. <laughs> okay? Um, is there like a second opinion somewhere that I can get? Like, uh, and then what he went on to do was just talk me through how awful it was going to be. And he was right. And it's like, well, you know, what can I do? And he's like, well, there's not a whole lot. You know, it's just going to be really bad for a few days, if not a few weeks. And I was like, okay. And so obviously he gave all the things and I got on the medicines to get on and, and, uh, and was sick for a really long time. But here's the thing. That was hard to hear. That was really hard to hear, especially the way he said it. But um, that's what a doctor does. Like, I don't need him to be nice. I don't need him to tell me things that are easy to hear. I need him to be Right. And I need him to give a right diagnosis because it's only after a right diagnosis that I can actually start healing. And so it would have really, as sick as I was, it would have really bothered me had he talked about anything else but what was wrong with me. Like if, if I'd have told him my symptoms and he's like, hey, you know what, that's great. Can I check out your knees and just see how your knees are, are your knees functioning? It's like, that's not why I'm here. I'm miserable. I have a really high fever. I want to talk about these symptoms because I want to get you know, better. I want to find healing for these things. And what a good doctor does is a good doctor follows symptoms to sources and then offers a path of healing. And the Bible is that kind of voice. 
One of the roles the Bible will play in your life is if we read it, it will help us trace our symptoms to sources of unhealth in our life and offer a path to healing and change. And, and so what we can't do is we can't have this kind of relationship with God where we're like, no, 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 stay away from that and just check out the healthy parts of me. God loves us too much to do that. By his word, he's going to go after the unhealth because it is only after telling us the things that are hard to heal, healing, or hear, hard to hear, healing only comes on the other side of honesty. And God's committed to that in our lives. So you find passages in the Bible like James chapter 4 when he says, he asks the question and says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Like the, the conflict in your life, why is it there? And then his answer is, is it not the desires that war within you? So whether it's marital conflict or any relational conflict, God's voice is going to say, I, I know that everything in us wants to start with them, but there's something in you that I want to start with, follows symptoms to sources of unhealth. And that's why we need his word. Here's what's true about us because we're humans. Um, we are naturally going to gravitate towards voices that are the least challenging and most affirming. And then all that does is it leaves us frozen in where we are and how we think. It leaves us only affirmed. And, and maybe there's affirmation that's needed and good and right, but the other side of that is needing to be rebuked and challenged and corrected, and, and that's what God's Word's going to do. But what God's Word's going to do is it's going to do that in the context of also speaking a beautiful identity over us. We've already heard it in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, God loves you as you are. He saved you as you are. Over and again, God's Word is going to tell you you're already accepted. You've been given a new identity. The sun shines. Let that light into your life. The feature of God's Word that is just so astounding is that it is two things. It is precise in its confrontation, and it is generous in its unconditional love and grace. So generous. It tells you things about you that you have always dreamed were true, that in Christ and only in Christ are now reality. And we need that voice in our life. We need to hear God speak. And the primary way God speaks is through his written word. It's like John Piper says, if you want to hear the audible voice of God, read the Bible out loud. That's how God speaks to us, right? And we need that every day. We can use his word to talk to him, to drive our prayers to him, to hear from him. Not expecting, I crack open my Bible once and change comes all at one time, but pulling back the curtain again and again and again. And maybe you'd say, Jamin, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Uh, the Bible is confusing to me in some ways. It's confusing to me in a lot of ways too. I'm not saying that, that the Bible answers every question. Part of our conviction is that uh, I will take the unanswered questions that come with the Bible over the unanswered questions that come without it. But if you need help, we want to offer help. There's two opportunities to learn to, to do that. We mentioned them at the beginning of our, of our service during the announcements. We have our Bible classes, our men's and women's Bible classes that are about to start back up again. You can register for those online. Um, they are about to jump into Romans 8, some of those beautiful scripture in all of the Bible. Roman, you know Romans 8 begins? There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it says, I don't consider the suffering of this present time worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. And then it says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. And then it says, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. All of that's in Romans 8. And if you want to know how to, to steep in something like that, in a way that it changes you, our Bible class can help you learn to do that, can help keep you accountable for doing that. It's, it's, it's going to give you tools to read the Bible for yourself and then to study the Bible in community, and then you get to hear from one of our incredible Bible teachers. The women's class meets either Tuesday morning or Tuesday evening. The men's class meets Monday evening. You can sign up for that online. Uh, steps is another opportunity here to stay in God's Word, to be changed by God's Word. Steps is a 12-week class, hear me, that every single Christian 
regardless of how long you've been a believer, needs to take. It has this uh, unique ministry in our lives where it can help us take God's word and apply it to some of the most difficult and complicated parts of our life and our story and our past and our relationships. You get a mentor to help walk you through. You get a group to be with you weekly. You hear large group teaching uh, every time they gather. And, and if you missed it, now is the time to, we have an interest meeting for steps today at one o'clock in the student room. Come. Here's the point. We need God's voice in our life. We need God's voice in our life to, to have any shot at a eulogy that speaks of Christ in us. We have to be committed to these kinds of things. God's voice, and we're committed to walking together towards those things. Also, spend time with God's people. Spend time in God's word. Spend time with God's people. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not, hear this, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The book of Hebrews, the whole book is about how to not drift from the faith, how to remain faithful to Jesus. And one of the ways, one of the things that it uh, says should be a part of every Christian's life is the habit of gathering together. You know why we do this? You know why we do this? Ever since our Savior defeated death and rose again, followers of Jesus have, have gathered weekly on Sundays to love one another and encourage one another to love in good works. In fact, the passage warns against developing the habit of not meeting, the habit of, of regularly gathering with the people of God where we worship and we hear the word taught and we take communion. What it does is this does something in the life of the believer that you can't get anywhere else, that nothing else does. And the absence of it in our life means we are at risk of, of drifting. We're at risk of, of becoming less than who God has called us to become. Look, one of the schemes of the enemy is to uh, make you and I feel cut off from other believers so that we feel alone, so that we feel foolish for believing what we believe, so that we feel isolated in our beliefs. No one struggles like I do. Nobody doubts like I do. Nobody believes what I do. And gathering together wars against that and reminds us that we're not alone. So let's do something. We've done this before. I'm counting on you, 1115. I'll be honest, currently the 9 a.m. is my favorite service, but you have a chance right now to, to change that. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you believe the following. If you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross that we might be made right with God, rose again in victory over sin and death, he currently is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day will return to make all things right. Would you raise your hand if you believe that? Okay, look around. Keep your hand up for just a second. Look around. Okay. Where else, where else in your life can you gather in a room of 350 people and be reminded that you're not alone in your belief? the things that you believe are most important about life. You're not alone in that. And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of times where maybe you feel that. And every time we gather is an opportunity to look around and not only be reminded that Jesus has promised to be with us to the end of the age, but also be reminded that we have each other. Um, it's why we gather, and it's why we need the gathering in, in our lives. It's why I need the gathering in my life. Some of my favorite Sundays are Sundays when I'm not preaching. Please don't amen. That would hurt my feelings. Um, <laughs> But what I get to do, my, my favorite Sundays are Sundays where I get to come and just be here and sit with you and, and be reminded that before I'm a pastor, I'm a citizen of heaven and a member of the household of God. I need that. And look, we live in a time and we live in a part of the world where it'd be really easy to turn this into a religious show. 
where we simply offer a religious experience for religious consumers. And at our church, we have no interest in that. We have no interest in that. Like, look, our services are long because we try to make space to meet with God. We try to make space for singing and for prayer and for communion. And I get it. Like, there are so much more efficient ways to do church. But at Citizens, we are not after efficiency. We're after an encounter with the risen Christ. And we want to open the shades and plead with God to meet us and shine on us so that over time we might leave looking a bit more like Jesus than when we came in. And we need this in order to to be faithful. And there is a lot, let me press gently, there is a lot vying for your time during this time. And I get it's challenging. I, I get that with all the sickness and stuff, it's just crazy. And there's so much grace for that. What this passage is calling for is an intentional prioritizing of this space together and warning us that it's really easy to get in the habit of getting out of this habit. Like, if I just think of an example from my life, uh, Little League is about to start up again. I've got kids who play sports. I'm a huge sports fan. Um, My favorite athletes are my kids. And there's not even, for all the sports that I watch, and support. My favorite athletes in the world are my kids. I've got a son who loves playing football. I have a daughter who would shoot hoops in our backyard until midnight if we let her and make most of her shots. Um, They both play sports. I love that they do. There are plenty of weekends where our lives orient around their games. Here's what I know. Whatever that looks like, it can't mean that they are not here regularly on Sundays. Here's the reality. There is a small percent chance any of our kids play college sports. There's an even smaller percent chance that any of our kids make a living doing it. There is a 100% chance our children need Jesus and his people. 100% chance. And so we as parents are to prioritize that accordingly, to prioritize that faithfully because our family habits, what we say yes to, what we say no to, what we're okay missing, what we're not okay missing, that communicates something to our children about what mom and dad believe is essential. And look, That's just one example of the kinds of good things, good things that can keep us away from a space like this. And and I'm not talking about feeling guilty for missing a Sunday. Here's what I'm talking about. A reminder for all of us that this is essential. The gathering is an irreplaceable part of the life of the believer. And without effort and intention, we drift from that. And, 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 And we're at risk of not becoming what God has called us to become. But it's not just this space. It's not just this space. It's also community, home groups. Now is a great time, friend, to recommit to your home group. If you're not in a home group, we have Group Connect that starts in two weeks. Now's a great time to get into a home group. Every Wednesday night, maybe you're sitting here, and part of what you've thought is I'm talking about reading the Bible, and and the only thing you can think about is the pain that's in your life right now. The only thing you can think about is that there's a mess that marks your life right now, whether it's suffering or addiction or a broken relationship. And so it's, it's, some of this just lands a little flat for you because that's all that you can think about. And I understand that. I've been there. So many of us have been there. Every Wednesday night, we have a ministry called Recovery. And it is especially if a particular struggle marks your life, if particular suffering has overwhelmed your life, if particular sin has overwhelmed your life, it's a time to gather with the people of God, to spend time with the people of God, to hear teaching, to meet in small groups, to, to, to meet in groups with people who struggle like you do, whether that's addiction or suffering. Last Wednesday, Adam Hawkins, one of our lead pastors and one of our elders, he started a recovery group on Wednesday night for people who deal with anxiety. And know this, I don't know of anyone better equipped to pastor anxious people than him. And mostly what that is, 
is gathering together to share that particular burden together, to gather together as a bunch of anxious people seeking hope and security and steadiness in a life that gives us lots of reasons to be afraid. Did you know why? Because that's what the people of God do. This is what people of God have historically done, to gather together, to share burdens together, to seek hope and help in Jesus together. Tonight, we have our first night of worship and prayer of the year, 5 o'clock, 5 to 6. And we'll gather together, we'll sing, we'll pray for one another, we'll take communion again. And in all that, what we're expecting is we're expecting to be met by God as we gather together with the people of God, that we're spending time with him as we gather together. And and remember, it's not that every single time is a five-star dinner. I don't have any sort of illusions that every Sunday morning is some sort of mountaintop experience for everybody. It's not about the mountaintop experience. It's about the regular diet, the faithful, day-to-day, ordinary pursuit of God by spending time with God's people. Lastly, spend time on God's mission Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Part of becoming like Jesus is joining him in the work that he's doing. One of the ways that we know, friends, that we're changing is that we begin to care about the things that God cares about. And that care comes out of our life as us having our eyes off of us and our eyes on opportunities to minister, to share our faith, to take the gospel, to fight for justice in God's world in a way that honors God, right? And many of us need help knowing how to do that. I often need help knowing how to do that. One of my favorite things about our church is we have a a growing heart for those around us. And we're growing in our tools and our ability to, to take the gospel beyond just this space to the world around us. And if you notice when you came in, there's three tables in the foyer that represent three different efforts that we'd love for you to consider joining as a way to spend time on God's mission. The first is a ministry called International Students Incorporated. They help uh, match families, Christian families, with international students in our area so that we can be hospitable to them in hopes of uh, showing the love of Jesus to them. Uh, Right down the road at UTD, there are almost 8,500 international students from all different religious backgrounds. They will spend two to five years in the States, and research shows that 70 to 80% will never attend a church or even be invited into a home. And through the ministry of International Student Incorporated, students have signed up already on there, and they've signed up, international students who want relationships with American families. They're open relationally, they're open spiritually, and you and I can partner as a way to spend time on God's mission to love those students. Like, what if their plan was to come and get an education and go back home with a degree and a job. But God's plan was that they would come, that they would meet you, through you meet Jesus, and go back home with a changed life and a changed eternity. Those are the kinds of questions we want to ask about what God has has given us the opportunity to do. We also have Amazon Outreach. They uh, lead short-term mission trips in the summer, and through Amazon Outreach, you can take uh, trips to Brazil and partner with Brazilian churches, sharing the gospel, meeting needs, partnering with pastors down there. If you've been here for any length of time, you've probably been asked by Brenda Holmes to go on that trip, and so we're asking you again to consider that. You can also talk with uh, one of our deacons, Jonathan Gao, or Chad, Uh, who's our mobilization minister. They're both out at a table uh, where they are heading up city engagement here at Citizens. You are a part of a church that specifically cares about paying attention to five kinds of people in our city and around our city. The the five people are the poor, the immigrant, the incarcerated, the sick, and our students in our schools. 
And Jonathan and Chad can tell you how we are already involved in that, how to get involved in any or all of those efforts. But here's our hope. Our hope is that our church would have a growing reputation in our city and the surrounding cities that we are a people, we at Citizens are a people filled with compassion and love. And the dream would be that, that, that without us, if we, just, if we weren't here, we would be missed because of the impact of compassion and love that's happened through our church. Here's the point. Part of how we're changed by God, part of evidence that we're being changed by God is that we join him in his work and would love for you to consider what that looks like for you and stop by one of the tables after the foyer or maybe you're already involved in something and you would just feel affirmed to keep going in that church. God met you in Jesus right where you were, right where you were. Not a single thing that could have kept him from pouring his grace and mercy and love in your life. He met you. He is making you into people who look like Jesus. He's invited you. He's invited you to be a part of that change. What will you do today to respond to that? What will you do today to decide to be a part of that? Maybe it's a class here. Maybe it's committing with a group to pray together. Maybe it's just doubling down on something already in your life. But know this, know this. Whatever it is, it's worth it. Whatever it is, it's worth it. Receive the grace. Let God's light shine in your life. Be patient because it takes time. And God will use it to make us holy and blameless and unaccusable because he loves us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. I thank you, God, that you have not left us to wonder what matters most in this life. I pray that what you'll do through your word, God, what you'll do through your people, what you'll do through the ministries of our church is you will begin or continue writing Christ-centered eulogies in our very lives. That what would come from our hearts, out of our mouths, through our hands, in our relationships is a Christ-likeness that can only happen because you love us and you met us and you're making us who we're meant to be. Would you do it, God? We need you. We love you. Would you appropriate your word in this time in a way that is specific to the needs of my brothers and sisters, God? Give us grace. I pray that, that there, would, there, is a, um, there is a natural response to this, God, that uh, can be like a, a, a guilt-fed self-reliance to be a better religious person. Protect us from that. Instead, would you give us a grace-motivated, love-surrounded, shame-free reason for walking out of this room and committing to the kinds of things that make us the kind of people that are holy, blameless, innocent. And it won't happen before you return, but we want God. We want a bit of the future now in the present, and we can have it. We need you. Amen.